0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Detox Podcast, a culture and conversation podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and we have made it. This is the end of 2020. This is the final Detox Podcast episode of the year, and what a year it has been. We have seen a global pandemic, social unrest throughout the country due to systemic racism and murders of George Floyd and many other individuals. We've also seen a tumultuous presidential election, a new president-elect. There has been so much packed into one year, you would think it was an entire decade. But through it all, I, your host, Joe Shaw, have been bringing you episode after episode, having these conversations where we're trying to detox from life, get a window into how other people live their lives and allow you to think for just maybe 30 minutes, 45 minutes, one hour, whatever it is, about something different from your own perspective so you can take it back and apply it to your life. And I'm very excited to say that this year we've provided some really great episodes for you and on my own individual quest to be a better dad. So I'm very excited. I first off, just want to start out by letting you know that this podcast is sponsored by Snuffy. Snuffy is a clothing brand about empowering you to show your weird unapologetically with bravery and confidence. 10% of profit goes to LGBTQ plus organizations led by trans people of color. Shop online now at snuffy.co. That's snuffy, S-N-U-F-F-Y dot C-O. The owner and operator of Snuffy is my good friend, Nick Silvestri. He designed the Detox Podcast logos. So if you like the logo and you want to go support him, go check it out at snuffy.co. And we are so excited That Nick was sponsoring the show all year. It really set the tone for all the episodes about bringing your full authentic self into every single day life when we have a sponsor that encourages that. So Snuffy will continue to be a permanent sponsor of the podcast. I'm very excited to start off 2021 on that note. And I want to thank you, the listener, for sticking around. This show started four years ago as a resource for new dads, then new parents, then highlighting parental journeys. And then now it is a culture and conversation podcast where we're highlighting all types of different stories so we, the individual, can be better and help to raise more inclusive kids to build a better world. So I'm very excited. Four-year anniversary of the podcast, episode 158, best of 2020. This is what we're going to do. I've looked through the archives to look at the top ten listened to episodes of the entire year, and we're going to give you snippets and clips, um, some of my favorite parts from each episode. Um, there were so many great honorable mentions that weren't in the top ten. My conversation with Tracy from the Stacks podcast, my conversation with Jeff Carpenter and Jared Wheeler from the docu series on Netflix, Last Chance You, Sam Fader, speaking of Netflix, about his documentary disclosure and my conversation with Frank Minicon and Anthony Roberts from The Reality Is, is we're talking about the social unrest in the country. A lot of great honorable mentions that are fantastic episodes. I absolutely encourage you to do it. And uh, But we are going to count down the top 10. As a reminder, if you like this show and you want to go support us, go give it a five star rating and review on iTunes or anywhere else that you listen to the podcast. It really helps us out. New episodes release every single Monday. I've got great slate of episodes scheduled right off the bat in January that you're going to enjoy but let's get to the top 10 so I will come in and out a little bit um, with some perspective and some context for the clips that you're going to hear I am not used to talking this long on my own so I am a little rambly apologies for that but let's get it started let's get out of the way the clocking in at number 10 was my conversation with Lara, Whitley. Uh, It is episode 148, Hellbound, where we talked about a lot of interesting stuff, specifically about her podcast and about her in general. But then my favorite part, which was fun, right in time for Halloween, she gave me a tarot card reading. And I have to say, all of her readings have started to bear fruit in my life. It's been fantastic. So listen in to this clip from episode 148, Hellbound, featuring Lara Whitley.
1: Okay, so I have it all set up. I okay. did a, um, and I'll take a picture of it too, so you can like. Oh, perfect. Have, I'll send it to you. You can have it if you want it. Nice, nice. Um, yeah. Sorry.
0: No, you are all good. And, do? Do, 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 do. Um, yes. I was going to say something okay. else, and I totally forgot, so I just scattered a little bit.
1: <laughs> I love it. Okay. So the one that I'm doing for you today is um yeah, they're literally just like three cards in a row, um, horizontally. And the first one, which is on the left side, um, since you can't see it, I'm like trying to describe no, it as no, best no, I, like I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, that one is going to be you, and then the middle one is going to be your path, and then the right one is going to be your potential. Okay. So I'll start with the one that's you. Okay, so you got. I think this is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, this is the ten of swords. I think is what it okay. is. Let, I have it in the book, and then I'll tell you what it means.
0: Okay, okay, I like it so far.
1: It might take me just a second to find no, it. No,
0: you're all good. <laughs> I just, if anybody, so quick aside, speaking of swords, Mm -hmm. I just finished reading. I'm a huge Michael Crichton fan. I really enjoy Mm -hmm. his mixture of sci-fi and fiction and RIP. He's not uh, here anymore, but he wrote Jurassic Park and all that great stuff. yeah. And so I just finished a book of his called Timeline, which was a terrible Paul Walker movie in 2003, starring Gerard Butler (laughs) of all people. But the book is fantastic. It's about these scientists who go back in time to the, I think 14th century uh, medieval France. And there's lots of knights, there's lots of violence there's lots of bloodshed um uh so and lots of like quantum mechanic discussion which is really cool (laughs) if you can if you can like have scientific discussion around quantum mechanics and time travel and like nights and stuff like i'm i'm in like that's
1: i love that so anyways see I was I was not good at science in high school, so all of that hurts my brain a little bit, but it's very interesting to me. Right. Um, I work for two astronomers now, and so I'm like, I, I really hope they don't listen to my Flat Earth episode and think that <laughs> I don't believe in science.
0: <laughs> Hashtag Flat Earth forever? No. I'm kidding. I know. I know. I'm
1: like... <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Okay. So yeah, it is the Ten of Swords. Um So this, uh, I'm trying to see if it has like a good, I'll give you the practical advice. Okay, sure. So this says, strengthen your mental alertness, treat thoughts, definitions, and decisions with care, clear the air and take a deep breath. Be aware of suspicious and harmful actions, open up to the flow of life. Ooh, I love it. Similar to what we were talking
0: about. I know. That's pretty much right on point. I love that.
1: Okay, so then you have the Queen of Cups for your path.
0: Okay, Queen of Cups.
1: Yes. Okay. And then this one, the practical advice on it says and I I wish that like I had them memorized so I could give you just like this represents this and this. But I, I don't, unfortunately. It's all good. Um, but it says, take a walk along a river or lake, meditate near the water, embellish yourself and your surroundings, show Ooh. the beauty and costliness of your feelings, open up your heart.
0: Oh, my goodness. I'm I'm doing that. I'm starting to do that right now. So I will just continue down that path. That. So there we go.
1: Nice. That is what you're supposed to do. Okay. And then you got another swords one for your potential and it's Ooh. the four of swords. Four of swords. Okay. And let's see. Okay, so this one says, (laughs) this is funny, you've got some tough nuts to crack with an (laughs) explanation point, but you will be able to resolve major contradictions and master complicated issues. Relax both inwardly and outwardly by letting go of negative thoughts. In order for your mind to concentrate on the task at hand, you must relax. All new, er, sorry, not all, (laughs) a new dimension and a life beyond your expectations await you.
0: (gasps) Okay, good. Like this is, oh my God, there was so many amazing, like potential movements that happened like this week alone that I was really ruminating on like, Ooh, I don't know how I'm going to navigate these, these waters. And should I, should I work through it or should I just kind of like go with the flow and, Oh, okay. So this is boom, right on
1: all the way through. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Honestly, it's a nice, um, it's a nice thing. And I think a lot of people think that, um, there's like a negative cards in it or it can like, it's like, you know, it's funny. I was showing uh brandon harry potter the other day and we were watching the one where she's like the grim oh right i think that's what people think tarot is but Look it's, at the Look it's, at the it's all positive yeah it can just mean like you know like time to let go of something move on to something else but right. yeah yours was yours was great overall yes, yes.
0: <laughs> i absolutely love that thank you so much Hey, Joe is here and I'm here to tell you about episodes nine and eight on the top 10 detox podcast episodes of 2020. I feel like Ryan Seacrest or Casey Kasem counting down the top 10 hits of the week, in this case, the year. Something about 2020, I was very fortunate to be able to cross a couple of interviews off my bucket list. In fact, three of them are in the top 10 of this countdown. I was very excited to uh, be able to share with you. But first up, I want to let you know that clocking in at episode number nine overall is Detox Podcast episode 147, Everything is Spiritual, featuring Rob Bell. Rob is one of those interviews I was able to cross off my bucket list. He, he is a author, theologian, former pastor, and his work was very influential to me growing up, and I was extremely excited to be able to talk to, to him about his latest book, Everything is Spiritual, and dig into a few different important topics. You're going to hear that clip. And then clocking in at number eight is my conversation with Grace Chemain in episode 145, Empowering Voters. Grace is part of the League of Women Voters Texas chapter, and voting— specifically voting in the general election was a huge topic of 2020 and as we were getting close to election i wanted to be able to have a conversation with someone of league of women voters so we could provide this podcast as a educational resource for voting for information gathering for disseminating out false information all that kind of stuff grace was fantastic so we really got into a lot of very helpful topics which i hope helped inform people as they got ready to make their decision before the general election. So first up Rob Bell and then Grace Chimane. Now you're not with tied you're not um, tied is the wrong word. You're not with a church in the way in which you were talking about. So how can you now redefine? maybe your audience and your congregation as those who read the book and interact with you, what is the main questions that you would like them to be asking after consuming this book? And how do you see that leading them further down that path?
2: It never crosses my mind. Okay. It never crosses my mind. (laughs) It is, there's nothing attached to the book. It's the, it's, the gift as I can give it with everything I got. You know what I mean?
0: Um,
2: so this is like your creative
0: expression. This is what I'm feeling. This is the thoughts I have. I'm putting the work,
2: it there. All the work is a gift freely given. This tour, this sermon, this... I've been writing these plays recently that I love. This book, this here. I see um, what you're saying. And there's no... I'm fascinated to talk to you to see what you saw in it. Sure. So, so, so any like, Joe, make sure you no, 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 no. Uh, that's the wonder of it is that yeah. you, you, the interview I just did earlier, the interviewer saw, saw a whole completely different world of things. <laughs> yeah. Um, my, my son, uh, my 20 year old son only wanted to talk about the parts in the book where I was 20.
0: Right. So that was a so, great interview, by the way. Yeah.
2: Oh, uh, so much fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. So a long time ago. A long time ago, it became a very clean, pure, man. Just give, just make the thing, and right. make it available, and then the wonder and awe continues because I get to find out <laughs> right. what people saw right. in it. So, so there are obviously things yeah. like. Like there's like you mentioned the book, there's a feeling in the book of in some ways it's a story about everything that went wrong. It's it's embarrassing <laughs> and it's awkward and it's not the plan and it's liminal space. So in some senses there is a feeling baked into the book, which is spirit is lurking in all of it. Right. Don't you don't step back. Don't back up. When you find yourself like, what the, keep your eyes open because spirits in all those dark waters. You see what right. I'm saying? So that is yes. a feeling. And so, so, so the, the energetic imprint of the creator is imprinted upon the creation. The mm. spirit in which you're making it gets imprinted in the thing you made. So Velvet Elvis had a very particular imprint that you with us never having met picked it up off the page an right. energetic imprint like oh wait we can just take this whole thing apart right we can ask every question is fine yes so you notice how that's both an intellectual conceptual thing that happened for you but that's also like something that happened in joe's heart like yes. wait a second yes um so that may never even been explicitly stated you just picked it up because it was almost like it was in between the words yeah, yes. so so there are definitely things that are in the, and then the book, it has no chapters. And like, there are certain times where it starts looping back in on itself. And there are sections right. where I, I tell four different stories that are kind of related. And yet there's something almost in the middle of those four stories that doesn't get explicitly stated, but it's just hovering there because I wanted the book to feel like life. Right. I wanted it to feel like it lurches forward, it loops back
0: it, you know what I mean? Or let's, let's, let's do this. Is there a specific outlook that you would like to leave the listeners with as we head into the general election and beyond one specific outlook or thought process?
3: I would say that this is our democracy and it doesn't belong to any political party. It doesn't belong to any person who is an elected official it is our democracy and we need to take care of our democracy and we need to grow our democracy and it is not just about my vote when I talk about our democracy it is about your vote and it's about the voter of the person perhaps who lives down the street it's about a voter who lives in their car and doesn't have a place to live It's about everybody getting together and deciding what the future of their city and their state and their country is gonna look like in the next 20 years. And so it's really important to support our democracy. I would, because this is a parent show, a parenting type show, I would say everybody needs to instill that in their children, help their children understand the process. Democracy doesn't just happen in the polls, but your kids make decisions when when they're playing with their friends. What are we gonna play next? Let's decide, let's talk it out. Well, should we play outside? Should we play football? Should we watch TV? What do you wanna do? I wanna do this, I wanna do that. And then you come to a consensus and you decide what you're gonna do. Perhaps you're gonna do this first and that second. You know what that is? That's the beginning of democracy. And it makes me happy. So please, uh, share democracy with your family, your kids, and your neighbors.
0: All right. I am back with episodes number seven and six in the Top Ten Countdown. Uh, 2020 was definitely a tumultuous year. In June, we had the murder of George Floyd. A lot of protests throughout the country and a lot of conversations about uh, the systemic racism built into the fabric of the United States of America. It coincided with Pride Month, which is a month where typically we recognize and honor the struggles of the LGBTQ plus community. And that still happened, but in a very different, more solidarity lens with uh, people of color and Black Lives Matter demonstrations and peaceful protests across the country. I happened to speak to my good friend Cody Ballou, who is a singer and artist, a at this time so clocking at number seven is my conversation with him which is episode number 129 work to be done and then clocking at number six um is my conversation from episode 123 quarantine cabaret featuring mikey abrams Uh, one of the things that we did in quarantine was find ways to entertain ourselves and mikey abrams started a facebook group called the quarantine cabaret where different artists could share their performances since they couldn't share it in live theater so first up is Cody Blue from episode 129, work to be done. And then a clip with Mikey Abrams from episode 123. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then you kind of fast forward to where we are. So definitely pick that up. And I think you were about to say something, so I'll kick it over to you. Well,
4: I have, there's a couple of things, because that is so, you have jam-packed that one little segment full of, <laughs> of things. But let me try to get to three points. Sure. One is, redlining, I truly believe, should be the chapter one, sentence one, of where people should start unraveling racism. Right. If you start there, everything else will make sense to you. Down to the down to how you're you. I can say this because I know how white people think because right. I'm white, but. When you're sitting in your comfortable home in your beautiful neighborhood where everybody waves and howdy-do's and all these things, which may have a couple of black families in it, and you're wondering, man, I mean, why are they so mad? I don't understand. Sure, I I, I get that they're mad that the police are are killing black men and women, but those guys are, are now in jail. Why are they still mad? We gave them that one. Right. If you will start at redlining you your eyes will be opened and you will start to get uncomfortable in your own home yeah because in a way you don't deserve it yeah you only got it you only got the loan that you got and you, and your neighborhood only got to be built up the way that it was because it wasn't redlined right And that is the first brick in the racism sidewalk
0: to me. So you did a lip sync to Cool Rider, and then it went off from there. So walk me through just the idea to do that first video and also then how that turned into the early days of Quarantine Cabaret and then kind of how it's grown since then.
5: The evolution of it, it's not... Where it is now is nowhere near what the original intent was, and it, it kind of had to just evolve as mm. more and more and more people ha- have joined. So when we first started off, I have a lot, as you had mentioned, you and I both share a lot of uh, theater friends in right. common, and... Um, I do a lot of musical theater in the area in the DFW area and have been performing for 30 plus years (laughs) in, in uh, theaters over in the Metroplex. But I figured, well, you know what, if I'm going to be locked up in the house and drinking and singing anyway, I might as well have an audience. Right. (laughs) So I invited some theater friends and they invited friends and they began participating. And at first it was like, fun, stupid things that you would do with your theater friends, like at a cast party. Right. Um, You know, somebody's drinking, someone's putting on a funny wig, someone's changing the lyrics to make fun of something. And I'd say about, for about the first three or four days, it was a lot of fun. And then after about five, six, seven, eight days into it, it exploded well past, the fifteen thousand member point, right? And um, we started getting people from across the country, um, different countries. Right now, we uh, represent six continents and over forty different countries. Wow! Uh, which is absolutely amazing. And I put a picture of the American Airlines Center. The American Airlines Center is designed to hold twenty thousand people in capacity. Well, we are almost twice the size of the American Airlines Center as far as members who are potentially watching. So everyone who's coming in and posting all of their performances are getting a chance to perform in a huge crowd. What's amazing about it is I've been getting a lot of uh, wonderful feedback, private message, text message, email saying, thank you so much for creating this group. Um, you know, I've been going through a hard time with my kiddos and my kiddos love to sing and dance and their, you know, school plays and activities got canceled and it gives them a chance to perform what they could have performed at their school talent show. And, um, it's little things like that, that you just didn't realize. So it's kind of evolved into an escapism and a comfort zone.
0: Welcome back. We are now getting into the top five episodes of Detox Podcast 2020 as determined by you, the listeners. So clocking in at number five uh, is another bucket list episode. So here's something that's really, I don't know if you would call it interesting. I think it's interesting. I find it fascinating to look at other people who share the same name as I do and see what type of individuals they are and start doing a cross comparison of my own life and just kind of go down the rabbit hole of what other people exist in this big wide world that we live in. So for myself, Joe Shaw, that meant I stumbled upon this fantastic artist in England named Joe Shaw, and he had this fantastic display called Burn the Furniture to Heat the House, and that is actually the title of episode number 146, which clocks in at number five in the top 10 episodes of 2020, Burn the Furniture to Heat the House, Joe and I got into a really good discussion about his art, about politics in the UK as well as the United States. It was a really fantastic conversation. And so the clip you're going to hear is me discussing his art exhibit. And then I am also excited to talk to you about the episode that clocks in at number four. So the episode that clocks in at number four is... Actually, episode one thirty-five coming out featuring Nicole Payson. Nicole has quickly become one of my favorite people on this planet to talk to, and her podcast coming out with Lauren and Nicole is an excellent podcast for sharing stories of folks coming out uh, in the LGBTQ plus community. She's been on twice now: episode one thirty-five and episode one fifty. But it was her first appearance, episode one thirty-five, where the listeners uh, determined it was one of the top 10 episodes of 2020. So first up, you're going to hear my conversation with Joe Shaw from episode number, let me pull this up, episode 146, followed by my first conversation with Nicole Payson from episode 135. 135.
6: where we are, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, but it was, it, the, the, yeah, I mean, the, the title came from this, um, well, there's, a, there's an English film called Billy Elliot you might be familiar with about a yes ballet, ballet dancer. Yes, yes,
0: yes, guy. yes, yes, yes. yes.
6: Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's quite actually interesting because that film is based in the Northeast of England. So ex coal right. mining areas and yep. shipbuilding towns, you know, really in ex-industrial centers. Yeah. Where in the 80s, um, these all the coal mines were shut, um, so obviously you have these areas which are there for um, production, and the, they take away this kind of reason for the, the the people to be there and the houses to be there and all sorts, and, and and the people are left with very little. And then the film is about this this young kid finding ballet, isn't it? And his family aren't very happy with this, um, right. being quite traditional kind of working class parents. Anyway, in that film, they smash up. the the piano I don't know if you remember they smash up the 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 mom the mom of the kid she like dies when he's young and then they end up smashing up the piano to burn for wood for the fire to keep them warm that's right that's right
0: they were and the they were on I don't mean to get in the weeds on the movie but if I recall correctly the workers were on strike and the dad broke the strike because he was trying to help support his son yeah yeah, yeah, in in his ventures
6: right that's quite an interesting that has a kind of um it's quite close to my uh heart because that was i grew up in a coal mining area and my my parents were my grandparents were part of that um strike you know like the, 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 the current prime minister at the time margaret thatcher yeah 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 she she you yeah. know she basically nationalized um, privatized everything in, and sold off all these things and closed all the coal mines and left a lot of these areas in in um the Midlands of England and the north of England, which are the poorer kind of areas um, just to rot basically, you know, sort it it out yourselves. And um, yeah, so that's the kind kind of landscape that I grew up in, in the Midlands near Nottingham, uh, which is the kind of one of these empty factories, um, these kind of structures used to be for a thing, you know, that used to be really useful and a, a real focus of the community but have just been, their shelves, you know, left empty and only, you know, you can only guess at what, for me, you can only guess at what they used to be for, whereas they used to give my, you know, my grandparents and my parents a living, you know, this kind of like a reason for being, yeah. So um, the title kind of came from that, that scene in the film where they smash up the the piano, which is his dead mother's piano, you know, and he's heartbroken. And it's this kind of, I'm kind of interested in this idea that we're sort of having to revert back to more of an improvised way of living. You know, we, we, we went through, you know, through the fifties, the sixties, the seventies, the eighties, the nineties, where we were kind of laid out this kind of model of, of, right. of existence, you know, in society, this whole, get a job, get a mortgage, have kids do everything like this and how it's just kind of broken apart. And, and, and now, you know, you have the choice and, but also there's the need to kind of, take things apart and put them back together again in your own your own way you know and i think that this kind of has parallels in everything like in employment and in technology you know um she wrote a little bit about it and then she
0: linked out to a, a, a article and she said you should one should read the feminine mystique with these four caveats and you clicked on and it talked about how like it was, you know, homophobic, um, in these specific areas, you know, the quote lavender menace, but it also gave a follow-up into how Betty Friedan grew as an individual from that. Um, and then it talked about, you know, she was a, um, privileged white woman in these ways, and this is what she did. And she approached her, um, her, uh, uh, my quote unquote, her not quote unquote, her marginalized status from this perspective, as opposed to a woman of color at the same time. And so it went through all of it and said, so these parts are problematic for these reasons. But at the end of the day, here's also why you should read it, but you need to read it knowing this about the book. And I found like that was the first time I've seen recently, a very nuanced approach to something that has flaws and has merits. And here's how you should approach it. Like it was it was well done. I highly recommend it.
7: Oh my gosh, I love that. That is so in line with um, the way that I I I think about things, the way I have been thinking about things lately, and what I have wanted to see more of in mm-hmm. our dialogue um, on the internet, and as we and certainly as we approach um, whether it's uh, works of art or um, uh, critical literature like that, or anything from our, our history just in general, right. where if you say like. <sighs> If you just trash anything that's problematic, you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. I mean, that is just... And, and you're you're getting rid of history. Now, we can go into specifics and sure. say, like, uh, you know, should Confederate statues be up? No. No. Right. Could, I, that feels fairly black and white to yeah. me. Um, if you <laughs> yeah. want to, you know, put them in a museum saying, like... This is what we did for this many years, is we allowed these to be up here. You right. know, isn't that shitty of us? Then, right. like, <laughs> then, then great, you right, know. Right. But, like, but you know, there are other ways of capturing that history. But when it comes to just like anything in general, you know, it gets me very uh, nervous. This well, it's one step away from book burning, is like what you start to see. Honestly, you're like, yeah. If, yeah it is it is because it, of course there are gonna be things that are problematic now through our lens because we've evolved that's yes. how we're supposed to be as humans if right. we're not evolving what is the point right you know my hope is that our, our all of our hope is should be that we're getting better and more accepting and more inclusive as we go along that doesn't mean that everything was bad in the past it just means that now we can look through a different lens and right I, I do think caveats are great Yes. It's Great. Because then you can you can you can immediately highlight what is not working and then take what does.
0: Hey, I hope you're enjoying this best of 2020 episodes so far. We're getting into the top three episodes. Um, so clocking in at number three is. From episode 120 Management Mess featuring Scott Miller. Scott Miller is a really interesting individual. He was uh, SVP of Thought Leadership at Franklin Covey at the time. He's now venturing out to do his own type of um, coaching and leadership style for individuals um, on his own. So that's coming up uh pretty soon, but I know that when Scott was on the show he was talking about his book management mess to leadership success, as well as everybody deserves a great manager. He definitely has some other books that he's written that are coming out soon. But uh Scott and I got into a really good conversation about like what what one looks for in a successful manager, how to be a successful manager, and his book is a really great resource for that. Following that up, uh clocking at number two is my last bucket list interview. Um, on this top 10 list. And it is from episode 125, a real life superhero featuring Burt Ward. Burt Ward was famously Robin in the 1960s Batman TV series opposite Adam West. And he, Burt Ward, was somebody I've been trying to interview since this podcast started four years ago. And no success, no success, no success. And then this year, it finally paved the way for my chance to interview Bert, So I had to get uh, some time to talk about being Robin and he was very gracious with his time. Also spent a lot of time talking about his company, Gentle Giants Dog Food Company, which is really great. You should definitely check it out. But up first, you're gonna hear my clip with Scott Miller and then following that, a clip of me talking to Bert Ward, Robin himself. And I want to know, what do you feel has been the driving force behind corporations structuring career development in that way? And now as we're starting to see, I feel like with the, uh, myself and the generation after me, you're really starting to see this shift of, of leading yourself and then being a, a an exa- lead by example kind of a thing with others. But, but backing up, why do you think it's historically been that way? And how have you seen the landscape start to change?
8: So I think a common issue in organizations is that we've built cultures hmm. and I'm not sure what the solution is but I'm quite clear on the problem. And the problem is we've built too many organizations where if you want to get promoted, earn more money, earn a title, move up on the proverbial corporate ladder, you got to lead people. Right. Therefore, we we promote individual producers that are quite content bringing their best in an individual role, and we lure them into these leadership of people roles. Mm -hmm. We take the most pleasant and efficient dental hygienist. We take the most creative digital designer. We take the highest producing salesperson, and we promote them over their team. Right. And so usually people who are quite delighted at being a really competent, bring the magic, work their hearts out, as an individual producer, we lure them in versus lead them in to these leadership roles, and often they implode. I mean, take for a moment some of the characteristics of a great salesperson, of which I was one for a decade. Right. Great salespeople have usually a lot of personality. They're right brains. They have a lot of charisma. They like to compete. They like the competition, right? They want to see themselves on the scoreboard in the company. They want to win. Right. They want to be top of the scoreboard. They like. The spotlight, the limelight, the significance. Those are actually great characteristics for a salesperson. Joe, those are horrible characteristics <laughs> for a sales leader. Right. I mean, my two top strengths from Gallup Strengths Finder are, in fact, significance and competition. That does not set me up well to be a sales leader. No. So I think part of the problem is we, we, we lure. These great individual producers to become leaders of teams, and then they implode and they realize, oh, my gosh, leadership isn't what I thought. Leadership is about having uncomfortably high courage conversations with people who used to be my friend and peer. Right. Leadership is about sitting people down and having diplomatic but straight talk conversations about their own blind spots or their productivity or their inability to collaborate. Leadership is about setting a standard on your own behavior and then having to model it day in and day out and have everybody watch you. I mean, leadership of people is really, really difficult. What happens is you get the best dental hygienist or the top accountant, and now she or he is leading a team, and they sit up at night throwing up or with their stomach in knots, having to come in and fire or terminate or put someone on a performance plan, and they hate their job, so they quit it. And now you've lost your leadership pipeline, and you've lost your top producing accountant, right. your best dental hygienist. So I think I think one of the solutions to answer your question is to every leader out there in HR, in human resources, people services, or line leaders, as you're thinking about recruiting the next top individual producer into leadership, have the courage. Show, show the gift to them of sitting them down and having a real conversation. This is what leadership is like. This is how much time it's gonna take. This is what you're going to need to do differently. This is what it's gonna actually be like. Sit them down and you know create a T-chart. Joe, here are the seven things that you do really well. Mm-hmm. In fact, these mm-hmm. are the things that got you this promotion. And Joe, tomorrow, you have to stop doing five of these. Like literally, come to the office tomorrow, And never do these things again. Wow. And then conversely, on this side of the T-chart, here's nine things that you actually don't do that well right now. That's okay. We have faith in you. But you're going to learn to need to do these things. You're going to need to learn to do these things in the coming days and weeks and months. Had someone sat me down and told me, Scott, what got you here isn't going to take you and them there I would have been a fundamentally different leader. Joe, I thought my job was to turn everybody else into my clone, right? I right. got promoted because I was getting great results, so my job was to make everybody else like a little mini me. Right. And of course that's idiotic now, but honestly, back in my early 20s, I thought my job was to lower the boom and you know be strong and be right. confident and and be a little bit tyrannical, and I tell you I did some damage on people and it wasn't until my I'm perhaps embarrassed to admit, 40s and early 50s, that I really learned what makes a
9: great leader. Holy detox interviews, Batman! It's Joe Shaw! Wowie Zoe! He's the best! To the Batmobile! Batmobile!
0: Walk us through what it was like auditioning for the role of Robin and then just kind of getting started and doing screen tests with Adam West and what that whole process was like for you.
9: Okay. Well, what happened was I was studying to be an actor. I wanted to be an actor. I was studying both at UCLA where I was going to the university and I was also studying professionally with professional coaches. Okay. But I hadn't done anything and my father was a prominent real estate broker in Beverly Hills. And I would help my dad by uh, what they call sitting on a house, which means you're really just there. when they have open houses so that you can show people around if they have questions, answer the questions, give them a brochure or whatever. And uh, uh, one of the people that came to look at a house and bought one of the houses my father was selling was a famous film producer. And I asked him if he would be willing to watch me do a scene. And I did a scene for him. He was very nice. And he said to me, well, I'll tell you what, Bert. Um, let me send you to an agent, you know, because that's really the only way you can get any work in this town. I said, okay. So he sends me to an agent who the first thing this agent says to me, well, I can't even get work from the actors I've got. You know, I would never take another actor. (laughs) I would never take you if it wasn't for this producer. And don't expect to work for a year. And if you do get a, a, a job, you'll have maybe one line to say, and that's what you can look forward to right. at best. Okay. Wow. But that wasn't very encouraging. <laughs> well, it so happens that a couple of weeks after that, I get a call from the same agency. Some lady there says, oh, there's something going over at 20th Century Fox. Uh, and I said, well, what is it? And they said, oh, we don't know what it is. Just go over there tomorrow. We got you an appointment at 430 and, you know, you'll be there with all the other people. And, you know, you can get a chance to interview for the part, whatever it is. I said, Okay. So the next day I went over there, it was 4.30 in the afternoon and they directed me to where to park. And then I walked to this bungalow and I went in and somebody looked up and said, "Um, okay, and who are you? Well, I'm, you know, my name is Bert and I'm here for this part. Uh, There's a part that I'm supposed to interview for. And so they said, okay, well, let let me introduce you to the casting director. So the cast, I, I was introduced to the casting director, went in his office. And uh, had a couple of questions. He said, "Would you like to meet the executive producer?" I said, "Sure." Well, you have to understand, uh, I didn't had never gone on an interview before, and I didn't realize that you normally don't get to meet the executive. Sure, producer. <laughs> but I didn't know that, right? right? So I said, "Sure." I figured everybody got to meet, them. right? So then I go in to meet the executive producer, and again, because I hadn't been knocked around, and so many actors are so rejected. I mean, it just. Right. I can see why <laughs> you know, yeah. when they finally get a role. They're like a demon because they're, you know, the world is so mistreated them, you know? Right. But, but in any event, I had been mistreated. So I walked right in and this was William Dozier, who was uh, formerly a vice president at CBS. And he created the whole hallmark uh, line of, of movies of the week and very, very experienced professional. But I just went in as a bright eyed kid and I said, hello, sir. And I shook his hand firmly and, <laughs> he was taken aback that I was so kind of like aggressive, but in a nice way, you know? Right. And he looked at me, he says, well, you're kind of big for this part. I said, oh, but sir, I promise you I won't grow anymore. (laughs) And he laughed like, like, how can you stop growing? You know what I mean? And, and, uh, you know, he said, well, he said, would you like to do a screen test? I said, sure. Right. I mean, I figured everybody got to do it. Of course. Well, that's not true either. (laughs) Okay. But I didn't know that. So, Anyway, uh, a couple weeks later, uh, I, I had a chance to go over, and the first thing I did, they wanted to see uh, some physical stuff because whatever this character was, it was going to be physical. And I was a brown belt in karate at that time. Karate had only come into the United States about six years earlier. That's right. And I had been studying that. Yeah, this And this is now 1965, okay? And it, it had come in, I think, 1959 mm-hmm. into the U.S. Anyway, so – Uh, and I had been studying and so, uh, I did some falls and stuff like that and broke a board with my hand. And then, uh, I had a scene to do with, and they said, introduce me to this actor, Adam West. And, uh, so I sat down and this is like 15 minutes before we had the screen test. Uh, he was handed a piece of paper and all, and so was I, and, and on the piece of paper, it just had like the names, Bruce and Dick didn't say anything about Bruce Wayne right. <laughs> didn't say anything about Batman didn't say anything about Dick Grayson it was just dialogue between Bruce and Dick right, right. And, and and just a couple of lines and, uh, and so um, and, and there was nothing revealing about this this was in Wayne Manor but I didn't say Wayne Manor right. it's just a, you know a, a, a stairway there you know in somebody's house that's what the set looked like so I did my stuff. And, and, and by the way, when I, I first sat down and I actually ran some lines with Adam, you know, where he said it and I said it. And, you know, in five minutes, the two of us instantly became friends <laughs> and we were laughing within five minutes and never stopped laughing for over 50 years. That's awesome. I mean, we just got along great. We we were really good friends. Anyway, we did the scene and I think, you know, I thought, well, thank you very much to everybody. and I'm starting to leave. They said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, Where are you going? And I said, well, I'm finished now. I guess I'll leave. So, no, 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 you're not finished. You need to go over to the end of the soundstage way over there. And there's a dressing room there with two wardrobe men. who are going to help you get dressed. And I stopped (laughs) for a second. I said, well, you know, no disrespect, but I'm perfectly capable of dressing myself. (laughs) Oh, you don't know. You just go over there. You go into that dressing room. You'll see. You'll see, right? So right. So I'm wondering as I'm walking across this gigantic cold sound stage, walk and walk and walk forever to get to the other end. And uh, the dressing room is lit on the inside. I go in and there's two men there. And then they have this. It looks like a giant couch, but it's like twice as long as it, it's huge. It's like a the whole length of a dressing of, of a trailer, you know, right. camper trip. Anyway. And on this stuff are these clothes. I mean, it's just everything, just ton of stuff. And I said to the guys, I said, am I going to put some of this on? And they said, no, you're going to put all of it on. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> anyway, they helped me get dressed into the most uncomfortable thing in my entire life. <laughs> I had never been so uncomfortable. Everything was bothered by it. The mask bothered my eyelashes. The tights itched my leg. The T-shirt, Fit on me, but the wool vest on top of it, the wool, the wool poked through my t-shirt onto my chest, made oh. me scratch my chest. The yellow cape pulled my head back. It was so heavy, double thick bridal satin, oh my so thick that it pulled my head back, and I had to consciously lean forward and tilt my head down in order to keep straight. I mean, the shoes hurt my feet. There wasn't anything that wasn't painful about this experience. Right. Plus, I could barely walk in this contraption. I mean, I hobbled <laughs> to the door, okay, to go out of this dressing room. Okay, then I, my God, I had, to, I had the horrible thought. I was going to have to walk all the way across right. that giant soundstage when all I could do was hobble, right? right. And, and and I remember one thing, though, as I was leaving the dressing room, I turned to these two guys and I said, look, you know, I said, "the the only good news here, is that in another 20 or 30 minutes, I'll never have to wear this costume again. <laughs> Famous last word. Right. <laughs> and even in the costume, I had no idea what it was. You see, where I grew up, there weren't any Batman comics, or at least I never saw any Batman comics or Robin. Right? I mean, there were Superboy comics and Superman, but not Batman. Never heard of it. So when I get up there in this crazy costume, and then I see Adam West, And he's got a weird costume on. I'm saying to myself, what is this? Is this some kind of outer space thing? Is this some kind of period piece (laughs) or something? What what is this? I had no idea. And, of course, nobody told me anything, right? Right. So anyway, I I, I do the screen test. And, boy, I'll tell you, I was glad to get out of there. I was exhausted. physically drained, mentally drained. And I left. And then uh, I didn't hear anything for about a week. And I started getting these phone calls from somebody at this 20th Century Fox studio. Oh, uh, uh, are you Burt Ward? Yeah. What's your hat size? Well, <laughs> oh, I don't wear a hat. Well, go get your head measured. <laughs> well, where do I go to get my head measured? Right. You know what I mean? Go to a tailor. Oh, all right. You know. And, and then what's your shoe size? Well, I have seven and a half. Okay. Well, what's the width? Well, oh, I don't know. Well, go get your feet measured, you know, <laughs> yeah. all of this stuff. And, I, and I'm doing all this and I'm wondering, geez, I don't know. Does everybody have to get all this stuff? Right. Well, why are they asking me all these questions, you know? Yeah. And I hadn't heard anything. And, and after six weeks of this on and on, six weeks go by, I get a call from these agents and say, okay, well, it's time to come on in and sign contracts. And I said, wow, great. (laughs) Now this agency is going to formally represent me, right? Right. I mean, now I can legally say I have a Hollywood agent, right? Right. Well, I go in there and I sit down and there's big, thick contracts and I look at them and I say, wait wait a minute, this must be wrong. This says 20th Century Fox on it. It doesn't say your agency on it. They said, no, no. These are your studio contracts. I said, what contracts? They said, you got the part. You know that, right? <laughs> no, I didn't know. Get the part. Oh, you mean the studio didn't tell you? No, no, nobody. At this. Wardrobe men didn't tell me anything. They just <laughs> called to ask about something. and And then when I finally got to the people at the studio, they said, you mean your agents didn't tell you? No, no, nobody told me. You know? Yeah. Nobody had told me. I had that part for four of the six weeks and had no idea. <laughs>
0: oh, that's fantastic. Oh, my goodness. So.
9: So anyway, uh, uh, so then I have then they call, they call me in to have a meeting again with the executive producer uh, and the production people, and I I go there and I, you know a little bit nervous because you know I don't know what I'm supposed to do or exactly you know this is my first role, okay? Didn't even know if it was a big role or not, okay? Uh, I just didn't know, okay? and so I go in there and then the executive producer, the same guy William Dozier, he says to me, Bert, he said, you know. We interviewed 1,100 other young actors for this role, and we decided to pick you. Wow! Would you like to know why? I said, yes, sir, I would. He said, because in our mind, forgetting television, if there really was a Robin, I mean, like the real thing, we think you, as you are, would be it. So we don't want you to, quote, act. We only want you to do two things. Be yourself and be enthusiastic. Well, God, I'm bundling with enthusiasm. Right. <laughs> that wasn't very hard to do, right? Right. And being myself wasn't very hard to do either. So that's what I did for 120 episodes.
0: All right. Thank you so much for sticking with me for this whole episode. I know this episode is running longer than normally, but that's because we had to get 10 clips uh, into the episode. But Thank you again for making 2020, despite it being such a crazy year, uh, for making sure that this show was able to still fire on all cylinders, provide amazing content and resources for all of you. And I'm excited to do so in 2021. Closing out the show is uh, a look back a little bit more of an uh, optimistic time, I should say, uh, was episode 118, Mr. Roboto, featuring Christian Hubicki from January 20th, 2020. We had no idea what this uh, year was gonna hold in store, but I got Krishnan, we talked robotics, we talked Survivor, it's really great. So here's a snippet of the conversation to close the show. Uh, This is it, after this clip, the show is gonna end and uh, come back next week for another great episode. The hashtag for this episode is best of 2020. Um, but yeah. Anyways, uh, until next time, uh, hashtag Best of Twenty Twenty. As always, I will hashtag Be a Better Dad. And here to close out the show is my clip with Christian from Episode One Eighteen, Mr. Roboto. Take care. See you next week. Now, I want to segue into, because I know there's a lot of parents that are listening and may be fascinated and go, well, how can I, how can I expose my children to robotics and engineering and, and have them go down this path if they're so inclined? So can you talk a little bit about how you first got into it and kind of your life growing up to, to how you got to uh, the research lab you're at? Now, I know that th- that's a lot of years, but still, if you could kind of walk me through your origin story, so to speak.
10: Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. So, um, so my sort of forced for, foray into getting interested in robots really was Legos when I was a okay. little kid. But uh, probably I was probably like five, probably four or five to eight, and I really got into into Legos. And in the era where I got into Legos, there wasn't a Lego Mindstorms kit that was really like. A, computer programmable I actually did have what was called a DacTA Lego set which all, which what it had, it had a bunch of like Lego blocks on it but it had one motor. And it had this giant brick, which what, which uh, which was the controller. And oh, it had I like, think I
0: remember that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's
10: like it's like eight buttons on it. Yes, I had, yes, I, yes. Up down left right A B <clears throat> is what you had. It's almost like right. a giant Nintendo controller. Right. <laughs> yeah. And um, and, and you could do very rudimentary programming with it. It was sort of just a script that you that you could say. I was like, I want this to do up down left right, and I make little things that were kind of like robots. Right. Right. So. Um, and for me, I was very lucky that my parents managed to find some science camps that I could go to over the summers. So that way, I get a little bit more exposure to computer programming. I remember, uh, you know, you know, I, I, my, I I, 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 sorry, I, um, was born in 1985. Okay. So, um, we, so computers were not in every home when I was born. And I think right. we got our first computer in like '96. So a lot of, so there was a point where I knew about programming, but I, I didn't have a computer at home, just that was not something that most people had right. and so i remember i would be writing computer code in a notebook <laughs> uh, so eventually i guess i so eventually when i when i had a computer I presumably i could i could type this out right um so so over so th- throughout so i would go to these little science camps and so i would keep a lookout for those if you're a parent uh i those are very formative to me okay and then when i got to uh high school um i i was in a high school robotics team and these are increasingly popular in the United States. In fact, they're so popular that in the state of Minnesota, there are more high school robotics teams than there are hockey teams. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. There wow. And there are multiple... Yeah, so they're extremely popular, Um, and there are multiple organizations. One is called FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, which stands for for Inspiration and Recognition of Science and Technology. There's another organization called VEX, V-E-X, which which does high school robotics teams as well. And these are organizations where um, you start a club, and then there's some, and every year the organization hosts competitions that you compete with your robot in. Okay. And you against other teams, and now there are you know thousands and thousands of robotics teams across the country. That's and so that's awesome.
5: Yeah,
10: yeah, so that's what I did in high school, and then uh, from there, I, I if you were interested in robotics, uh, you you go into go to college, and you typically take some kind of engineering field. For me, it was mechanical engineering. Um, you can also do electrical, computer science. You can, you can do math. There are lots of options. Pretty anything, pretty much anything technical for like an undergrad go into robotics yeah as an undergrad and then i did my master's and uh and phd and a postdoc and now i'm a professor nice
0: if you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com that's d-t-a-l-k-s podcast at gmail.com you can also reach out via facebook twitter or instagram at detox podcast or visit detoxpodcast.com also be sure to leave us a five-star rating on itunes if you like the show It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit VocalNow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O dot